Homily for Divine Mercy Sunday, April 11, 2021, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. During this weekend's Masses, I have a custom of praying communally the Chaplet of Divine Mercy in place of the penitential rite. I encourage those listening at home or otherwise unable to join us in person to please make time for the praying of the Chaplet of Divine Mercy during the course of your weekend. There is a site, shrineofdivinemercy.org, that contains helpful links and resources to learn about this important devotion. Many of my friends had nicknames as we were growing up, and for some mysterious reason, a few of them have stuck. If I were to see a couple of those guys today, their nicknames might come to mind more quickly than their given names. Granted, some of our nickname choices were not the most prudent or mature, but the rest of them were harmless traits of human nature. Sometimes, however, nicknames come about because of negative stereotypes. And when those kinds of names live on for a long time, the result is miserable and unjust. Every year on the second Sunday of the Easter season, or as we call it now, Divine Mercy Sunday, we hear about a man whom we have come to know as Doubting Thomas. Today I'm going to demonstrate that this is not an adequate description for such a great man, and that we should only be so fortunate as to exhibit his steadfast love of Jesus. For starters, let's clarify that we don't know why Thomas was not in the locked room during Jesus' first appearance. But we do know that he came back to the other apostles. From this, we can infer that he didn't turn tail and flee. He hadn't written off the last three years of his life, hardening his heart to the relationship Christ had formed with him. To assume anything of the kind would be clumsy. One particular passage from Scripture outlines for us just what kind of man Thomas was prior to the Lord's passion and death. In the Gospel of St. John, Jesus raised his friend Lazarus back to life four days after he was buried. Lazarus lived just outside Jerusalem, and Jesus and his disciples learned of the death of Lazarus while some distance away from the area. Now the last time Jesus had set foot in Jerusalem, the religious authorities met him with such hostility that they were ready to stone him to death. His disciples saw this as a narrow escape and pleaded with Jesus not to return so soon to that viper's den of Judea. Well, instead of taking their advice to heart, the Lord pressed on, desiring to go to Lazarus's family and perform this great sign, regardless of what risk there may be. Once it became apparent that Jesus had made up his mind, the first of the twelve to speak up was, you guessed it, Thomas. And what did he say? Let us also go to die with him. These are not the words of a wishy-washy personality. Thomas's love for the Lord translated into true acts of valor. Maybe it was the depth of his love that crushed his heart as Jesus was crucified. Maybe the loss of his beloved teacher was so heavy to bear that he could not allow his hopes to soar only upon a second-hand account. Maybe he could not abandon himself to his fragile emotions. 
St. John doesn't expand upon these questions like a psychiatrist or counselor might do, but we owe it to Thomas to leave those possibilities open. A week goes by before Jesus appears to these men again. This time, Thomas is present. The very first thing Jesus does is what he did the last time. He greets them with a blessing of peace. The strife is truly over, and Jesus does not see any need to launch into a tirade over their fears. The next thing the Lord does is to invite Thomas to inspect his wounds, evidence which the Father retained of the reality of his son's sufferings. What Thomas eventually came to understand, though, is that he did not have to substantiate his faith by concretely touching the risen body of Christ. Faith comes by Jesus offering himself to the believer. Hence, we are at no disadvantage to even the apostles themselves when we respond to him in faith. Thomas's response to Jesus has been seen as such a simple yet complete statement of praise that it lives on in the church in a special way. I've met many people who whisper, my Lord and my God, at the moments during the Eucharistic prayer when the priest elevates the consecrated host and the chalice. This positive habit is their way of expressing their gratitude over the miracle that unfolds before their very eyes at every Mass, and the extraordinary gift of the real presence of Christ in the sacrament of the Eucharist. I recommend highly that each and every one of us may take this habit up for ourselves. If you notice me moving my lips silently after reciting the words of consecration, it's because this is what I'm saying. Now, as for St. Thomas himself, we do well to remember his ministry in the church. Like almost all of the apostles, he died a martyr's death. Compared to the other apostles, St. Thomas is believed to have traveled far and wide. He, according to legend, made it as far as the Indian subcontinent. If you had a world map in front of you and measured the distance between Palestine and India, you could see that he ended up a long way from home. Only with an exemplary fire and dedication to the gospel of Christ was Thomas willing to literally go to such great lengths. Thomas saw it as his honor and privilege to preach the divine mercy of Jesus to the nations, and to share with everyone he could the gifts he himself had received. On this Feast of Divine Mercy Sunday, I thought it would be helpful to share the following reflection from an ancient instruction used for catechumens preparing to enter the church. The author writes, This is something amazing and unheard of. It was not we who actually died, were buried, and rose again. We only did these things symbolically at our baptism. But we have been saved in actual fact. It is Christ who was crucified, who was buried, and who rose again, and all this has been attributed to us. We share in his sufferings symbolically and gain salvation in reality. What boundless love! Christ's undefiled hands were pierced by the nails. He suffered the pain. I experience no pain, no anguish, yet by the share that I have in his sufferings, he freely grants me salvation. End of quote. When we manifest our trust in Jesus, this is 
precisely what we receive. Amen.